0: So, happy to have all of you here today. You may have noticed our new equipment up on the stage. We have a new baby grand piano, so. That was a very nice donation to us that finally arrived on Tuesday. We've been anticipating it for how many months? Months. Months. So, um, I want to talk to you today, not really about one of the readings that we did. Kind of was interesting. Um, as I was preparing last week at A4D and starting to think about these readings, I decided to preach on the gospel reading, and I got back on Monday, and it just wasn't, just wasn't coming together, and I kind of kept working on it anyway and had read different things, and it just it wasn't coming, and so I thought, well, maybe Matthew, you should actually sit down and pray about this sermon before you start writing it. <laughs> And uh, so I did, and, and God led me to the Romans reading. And, of course, we've been going over Romans um, for several weeks between Father Don and Father Tom and I. Except the thing was, as Father Tom last week preached on Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. If you noticed in the lectionary today, it skips all the way over to chapter 11. So they left out a big piece of it. And so, as I was praying about it, God said, go back and read what's missing. And I went back and read what's missing, and I knew immediately why they skipped it. Because it talks about God's sovereign choice. And a lot of times, this is a a passage that I think causes division amongst Christians. And I think that's because when we look at it, you know, they start to focus on Paul saying, well, you know, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated, And then he goes on to say, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so kind of the the Calvinists, the predestination guys look at this and say, ah, this is is it. Predestination's the way to go. And I remember sitting in one of my seminary classes on a a Zoom meeting, and we were working on a group project. And we were talking about a passage from Romans, and this passage came up, and one of the guys on there said, yes, this is the correct passage. The correct part of the Bible, this this lays it out right, God's sovereign choice, predestination, that's the way to go. Well, next thing you know, we have a big fight going on on the Zoom because someone else was very much on the other side of this and said it's all free will. And it's caused for the next 30 minutes that we're supposed to be working on a group project, we're having a fight. So, you know, it's just kind of how it goes. And so as I prayed about it, God said, I want you to preach on this. And I said, absolutely not, Lord. I am not preaching on this. Father Don's away. I don't need 20 messages on my phone on Monday morning about what I said or what I didn't say. And then the big idea kind of came into mind to let God be God. Let God be God. And I said, you know, given all that we've been through as Christians, and I look at my walk with Christ and I think how much I still struggle with that at times. How much I still struggle with that because we prepare so well. Last weekend we had the Anglican Fourth Day weekend. And for three or four Saturdays we gathered together the team, 30 of us, and we prepared for the weekend. And we thought we covered all the bases for that weekend, So that we would be prepared for anything that came our way. And then things happened that we really weren't prepared for. And how do we deal with these things? And how do we respond to those things? And it's in those moments that you realize you have to let God be God. And fully submit to Him. And rely on what He is doing. And rely on what He is doing. And even though we didn't understand all the things that happened on the weekend. It was a really good weekend. God was glorified. During the weekend, and we're going to hear from uh, Madeline Morrow today about her experience on the weekend, and it was amazing. But in all the preparations we did, it still didn't totally prepare us for what would go on. And I think we need to not be prepared totally for what's going on so that we can let God be God. So in this reading from Romans, really from chapter 9, verse 7, all the way up to chapter eleven thirty two, 32, Paul is developing his thesis that's presented in chapter 9, verses 6 through 13, which states that the Israelites' unbelief does not mean that God's promises to be faithful to his people have failed. Scripture demonstrates that the children of God and the physical children of Abraham are overlapping, but different groups. God never bases redemption and salvation on natural privileges such as your inheritance, your ancestry, your education, or opportunity, all these natural privileges, though they may be granted to an individual and may give us great access to knowledge about God, does not guarantee that that person will be a child. Of God, Yes, we're all created in the image of God, but to become a child of God, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and turn from your sins. The gospel, you have to do that in order to follow the gospel, accept the gospel, follow Jesus in order to be a child of God and in that group. And so in that whole thing, Paul's really developing that and talking about that, that just because you're from a certain lineage did not guarantee you were a child of God. Now in that, of course, it brings up the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God's right and power to do all things as he decides to do them. And when he decides to do something, he does it. And there's no one that's going to stop him from doing whatever it is that he has decided to do. And you think of Job. Whenever you think of the sovereignty of God, I often think of Job. And you think of all that Job endured, all the suffering that he endured, all those things that he went through. And in chapter 42, the last chapter in that book, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God's is going to be able to be stopped. And I think that sometimes that's a hard one for us when we talk about the sovereignty of God And we think of his lordship. For God is the the sovereign over all of creation. The major components of God's lordship are his control, his authority, and his covenantal presence. His control, his authority, and his covenantal presence. His control means that everything happens according to his plan and intention. Authority that all his commands ought to be obeyed. And His presence means that we encounter God's control and authority in all experiences so that we cannot escape from His justice or from His love. And I think this is a part about God that we really dislike in a lot of ways. We dislike it. We are having to face the fact that God is a sovereign being. He's not responsible to anyone or anything. He's God. He's totally and absolutely sovereign. And we don't like that. We struggle with that. We wrestle with that, I think. I know I wrestle with that sometimes. Because sovereignty is often associated in our minds with tyranny. To trust anyone with that kind of power over us puts us into the hands of someone who might destroy us. And we instinctively fight it. We instinctively fight that. Think about it. We fight about it in our national life. We fight about it in our family life. We fight about it in our individual relationships that someone could have authority, absolute authority over us. We don't trust anyone with absolute authority. The very Constitution of the United States is based on that presumption. We have checks and balances built into our government. Now, whether they're working right now or not, that's, I don't know. But in school, you learn about that. You learn about that there was checks and balances put into place, that they were put into place so that they would watch each other, that those three branches of government would watch each other, and they'd be accountable to each other. We do not believe that even the best of us can be trusted with absolute power. And really, we shouldn't trust any of us with absolute power because we are all fallen. None of us get it right 100% of the time. Sometimes as much as we'd like to think we have it right, sometimes as much as we'd like to elevate ourselves to saying we've got this together, sometimes we really don't have it all together. We really don't because we still live in this fallen world today. But the difference is, is that we have a God that we can trust absolutely. That's the difference. And so oftentimes we look at this in our own context. We look at God in the Scripture through our own context. And we say we can't trust the government. We can't trust some, a lot of the people in our lives absolutely. And so therefore we struggle to trust God absolutely because we view Him through our context. We view Him through our own context. Context. And that's a really hard place to be because we kind of do look at everything that way. We all have our worldview that we look at, hopefully, sitting here in this church, or people that have a Christian worldview. And even then, sometimes I think we struggle with that sovereignty, that absolute control, authority, and the presence of God. And so it's no wonder that when we come to the scriptures and confront the fact of absolute power, we can become uneasy. And troubled by it. But you see, if God had had to give an answer to anyone, then he really wouldn't be God anymore. If he was being held accountable to somebody, then that person would be God, not him. So the very idea of God is that he is sovereign. He does what he pleases. And he does what he wants to do. So we must get rid of the idea that his sovereignty is going to somehow be destructive to us it isn't at all. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of many of the ordination cards I was given. And often when you graduate, this is the verse that they put on cards, is Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. It's one that probably most of you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we put that on cards And we say, ah, that's a great verse. You have a future and a hope. But in a lot of ways, that verse is kind of taken out of context. It's true what it's saying there. God is going to give the people a future and a hope. But we don't go back and really look at the backstory of what's going on, what's going on that Jeremiah is dealing with as a prophet with these people. And so I think this is a good illustration of God's sovereignty. He's giving these people a future and a hope but they're not in a really great situation at this time. For a historical context, Jeremiah spoke these words to the Jews who had been living under the, denom- under the dem- domination of the Egyptians and the Babylonian empires before eventually being exiled from their home in Jerusalem to Babylon. One can only imagine what it would be like to live under the domination of your enemies and then be forced by those enemies to leave your homeland to settle in a foreign country. For literary context, we discover from the previous chapter in Jeremiah that they've just pronounced judgment upon a false prophet, Hananiah. Hananiah had told the people that God would break the yoke of Babylon, freeing the people to return home within two years. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Two years only? We can, we'll make it. We'll make it. But while that message was probably received really well by the people, it was a lie. It was a lie. And it resulted in God removing Hananiah from the face of the earth. Instead, Jeremiah tells the people that they're going to live in Babylon for at least 70 years. Therefore, they should settle down, build houses, marry, and pray for peace and prosperity of the city in which they now find themselves When understood in the context, we discover that the words of Jeremiah 29.11 were spoken to a people in the midst of hardship and suffering, people who were likely um, desiring an immediate rescue like the one Hananiah had lied to them about. But God's response is not to provide immediate escape from their difficult situation. Rather, God promises that his plan to prosper them in the That he has a plan to prosper them in the midst of their current situation. You see, we really have to know the Bible and stay the Bible because that's a wonderful verse. But it's a verse that comes from Jeremiah in the midst of intense suffering and hardship for these people. They're starting over in a new land in exile. And why is that? Because we serve a God that has absolute authority, is in absolute control, but is always absolutely present in our lives. And that's a really hard place to be because we like the good that comes from God. But sometimes we don't like that God allows these difficult circumstances to engulf and envelop our lives. And we have to live through them. We have to go through things we don't want to go through. You know, I think of Jonah, another good example of God's sovereignty. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. We know this story. Go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, not going. And not only does he say, I'm not going, but he gets on the ship and he's heading out. He's running from God. But again, because of God's control and authority and presence, he sends a storm. Jonah ultimately says, it's me, I'm the problem, throw me overboard. He gets thrown overboard. God provides, sends the fish, eats Jonah, swallows Jonah, there for for three days in the belly of this fish. And then he's spit out, he's vomited out onto the land, and he goes to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches what God has told him to preach, and the people turn from their evil ways, and now Jonah's got it all together, right? Nope. Nope. Jonah still doesn't get it. Jonah is now angry with God because he's gone and done what what God told him to do and the people have turned and repented and he's angry. He didn't want these people to turn and repent. And so we're kind of left hanging in, in that book of Jonah as to what happened to Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Did he ever get it? Or was it always just kind of miserable about this fact that God had saved these people? Because Jonah obviously was struggling with the fact that God had control and authority and was present. And they were absolute. And so we sit here today, and I think we have the same struggles a lot of times in our lives, that God has those things. And so you look at this reading from Romans, not part of what we read today, But you look back in chapter 9 and it says, What then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, it was kind of confusing at this time. The Gentiles, the sinners, the ones that didn't have it all together, are turning to righteousness. They're turning to Christ. They're placing their faith in him. And the Jews, and we know from the Pharisees, especially looking at them, they were following the law, they were doing all the right things, but it was a works mentality. It was a works mentality, and so even though outwardly they were doing all the right things, they're unrighteous. They're unrighteous. They had a problem with God being sovereign, because they thought they should have been able to get it all together on their own to go to God. And God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. That's not how I designed this to be. You have to come to me in faith. You have to turn from your evil ways. It's not an outward show. It's not an outward show. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And this is how this is going to go. And so he talks about the stumbling stone. So God says here that there is a way we can tell whether we're being drawn to the Spirit to salvation or whether we're staying where we already were lost and condemned. And the way you can tell that is by what you do with Jesus. God has planted a stone in the midst of society. And when you walk down a path, you can come to a big flat rock in the middle of the path. And there's really two things you can do. You can stumble over it, or you can stand on it. It's one or the other. And that's what God's saying about Jesus here, that you can stand on the stone and the foundation of Jesus Christ. Or you can stumble over Him and keep doing life the way you've been doing it, lost and condemned. You see, in God's sovereign plan, He knew Adam and Eve were going to royally mess up in the garden. He knew that they were going to be kicked out, and He knew He was going to have to ultimately have a plan of sending Jesus Christ, His Son. And so I think it's really tough to think that we skip this part of Romans in the lectionary, the sovereignty of God, because we really, I'm sure it's because it's a hard one to talk about. There are certain preachers that I like to listen to podcasts on, and none of them preached on this passage from Romans 9 to Romans 11. None of them had preached on it. I read a lot of commentaries to prepare for this, and I found a few that had talked about it, but most, like our lectionary, skips over it. And I think it's because it does in a way cause disunity because people take out the predestination and the free will argument and they start talking about those. And they start talking about those. And I'm not sure that's the most important thing in this. I think maybe the most important thing is knowing that God is sovereign. That he is in total control over our lives. And it's hard to wrap our heads around. We had a funeral here on Friday with about 250 people in the church, for a 22-year-old guy that had passed away very tragically. Some of you were there. It was a very sad funeral. It was a hard funeral. And we look to God and we say, God, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Was it God's will that he should have died? I don't think God willed him to die. I think it's because we live in a fallen world that it happened the way it did. But God allowed it. God allowed it. And I think as Christians, that's where we struggle a lot is why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God intervene in the life of this 22-year-old and do something to keep him still here? And I think all of us can look at our own lives, and whether it's the loss of a child, a grandchild, whether it's a health issue that struck us, whatever it is, we look at this and we say, God, why did you allow this to happen to us? Why are you allowing me to go through this? I don't want to be here. And it's hard to say, well, God is sovereign. God has absolute control, authority, and He's present. And say, we're okay with this. If he's present, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he alleviate this suffering? Why doesn't he take this away? Why doesn't he do it differently? And it's because he's God. He's God and our brains can't totally wrap our head around that. We really can't totally wrap our head around it. You know, I like what Priscilla Shire had to say. She said, we have to decide to spend our time discovering and aligning ourselves with the purposes of God or doing what we want while asking God to bless it. I thought that was a very profound statement. That we can either spend our time discovering what God's purposes are or we can ask God to bless our own. And that's really, really tough. It's really, really tough because so often we walk with God and we see these things that happen and we go, this is where God wants me and we pursue that and we do it and we think it's great and we say, Lord, bless this. Look at this good work I'm doing, Lord, in your name. I'm doing this in your name. Bless this project. But instead of asking, Lord, is it your will that I pursue this direction? Is it your will that I pursue this direction? Is this which you have for me, Lord. See, often we leave that out. I think Priscilla Shire really hit it. And so as we talk about the sovereignty of God, it really is let God be God. Let God be God. Let us not be, have division over things in the scriptures. There's some things we're just never going to fully understand. We all might interpret it a little bit differently. But we can walk together in unity as the body of Christ. Knowing that God is sovereign. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's created everyone here for a purpose. For a purpose. And we can be like Jonah, and run and get redirected and get sent back to where we're supposed to be and then still complain about it and still be unhappy and discontent because we're not letting God be God. We can be like Jeremiah who stood up and said, No, you're you're not right. It's not going to be two years here. You're making this up. It's going to be 70 years. But God's going to be faithful in those 70 years. And we do have a future and a hope. You see, sometimes I think the Scriptures, and especially passages like this, were meant to wrestle with them. Were meant to wrestle with them. Last night as I laid in bed, thinking about this sermon and saying, maybe I'll just change it in the morning and do something else. (laughs) And I did think about it. God said, I want you to wrestle with me on this. I think there's a healthy... Thing And wrestling sometimes with God, because if if we look at this and just take it and say, oh, all is well, I'll just I'll just go with it. I'm not sure what I think about this. Do you really grow in your faith? Do you really grow in your faith? If we skip passages in the Bible, because maybe we don't like them, or they seem hard to interpret, or as a cause of disunity. I think maybe that's the ones that we need to jump into and really wrestle with God on. We may not ever come to the point that we totally understand it while we're on this side. We may not get all the answers till we get to heaven. But I think it's that there's a healthy thing in wrestling with God because it's going to move us from being a people that are satisfied with milk and move to solid food. And move to solid food. So I really hope as we think about this passage, and I really would encourage you, go home and read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Go home and read those passages. Meditate on those passages. Wrestle with God on those passages. Because if you want to experience growth in your walk with Christ, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take some wrestling with God. If we're only going to focus on the Scriptures that we like, or that are easy, you're going to stay right where you are. You're going to stay right where you are. And the hope of the clergy at Christ the King is that all of us, us included, that we're walking forward with Christ, that we're going deeper with Christ, that we're studying the Bible more and more each day, that we're tackling these hard things that maybe we don't really necessarily like, but they're in the Scriptures and they're there for a reason. God ordained these scriptures to be there for us to get. So today, when you leave here, go home, read, wrestle with God. And even though it's sometimes painful, and even though we may not even get the answers we want at the end, we can know that God has a purpose for each one of us. And He's drawing us closer to Him as we study His Word. So go home today, wrestle with God, and know that we do serve a God that is in total control, has total authority, but is always present in our lives. Amen.